This is a Colored Pencil Podcast, session number 140. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a Colored Pencil Podcast, where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts... Lisa Clow and John Middick. Hello, my name is John Middick of SharpenedArtist.com, and I'm joined as usual by Lisa Clow of Lockery Fine Art. Lisa, how are you today? Well, a lot better than you based on all the sneezing I'm hearing over there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, we're going to talk about that, are we? <laughs> John's yeah, been sick. I have. Oh my goodness, I've been sick for about a month. I just, a whole month of mine just uh, skated by me, and I don't know what happened. The world went on, I think, but <laughs> I'm back now. So, so what are we talking about today, Lisa? We are answering some questions that were sent to us by our listeners. Okay, so our first question Hello, John and Lisa. Do either of you take classes from other artists to improve your art skills? If so, which ones? Cassandra from Buffalo. Thank you very much, Cassandra, for the question. And, you know, this is something that early on when I started uh, doing art again, I always wanted to know from people that I looked up to and I followed. I was like, you know, where? so what did they do? Uh, did they have a BFA or how did they get their training and that kind of thing? Um, and I, I can tell you, I'm not going to speak for Lisa, but I can tell you for me, I, I do take courses once in a while or I'll uh, take a mini workshop or something like that if I find it interesting or some new technique that I haven't been exposed to or something like that. So like uh, enrolling in a course or reading a book or something like that. I am a voracious learner. I never stop learning. And I hope that you know, if I ever do stop learning, just, you know, dig me a hole and put me in it because that's just my nature. I just like to learn. And so I don't think that I'm ever going to arrive at a point and say, nope, I'm done learning. I'm not going to learn anything else. Now, I'm not going to sit and, uh, you know, take a, a course from, you know, an art institute or something like that. I'm probably not going to do that. I would enjoy it. I'd have a lot of fun. I've just got too many other things that I'm focusing on to be able to uh, dedicate the time to do that. But for you in particular, you know, I'm not sure where you are in your art journey. So you just kind of have to assess where you are right now and then what your goals are and what, where you're wanting to go. So, yeah, you just kind of have to assess, you know, where you are and decide what your next steps will be. And so one of the things that you want to do, one of the things I like to do is I think, okay, if I have a big goal and I think I want to learn you know, whatever it is, this new medium, maybe it's gouache or maybe it's watercolor or whatever, uh, if you're not doing those. And I'm assuming maybe you're a color pencil artist, don't know. But whatever it is, if you think about a new medium, perhaps, and you think, I want to learn that particular thing, then start out small is what I usually do. I think of something that, what is the next step? Well, I usually try to learn something, just anything about that particular medium first. And I always feel like a book or a video is a good way uh, to begin that journey and that process. 
Yeah, I didn't take courses, um, not because I didn't want to. That just wasn't something that was ever really available to me. Besides, I did take an eight-hour course at Coast Airbrush, but I had already been airbrushing for some time. One of my students, her mom, wanted her daughter to go, so she paid me to take the daughter, but she paid for my me to take the class, too, which was really cool. I actually learned a lot That's from that nice. class. But other than that, I've never taken a course from another artist, but I do like to get tips from reading books. I mean, I don't have a lot of books, but like the Colored Pencil Bible is probably one I will never stop swearing by because I learned so many great tips from that. Um, I learned that I could blend with odorless mineral spirits from another colored pencil book. So, you know, I've gotten little tips like that. It's not like I instantly knew that was something I could do until I, I, I read about it online or in a book. But besides that, no, I've not taken any any classes or courses. But I can tell you that the colored pencil Bible, painting Bible by Aliona Nicholson, that one definitely helped me a lot. I'd have to second that. That's a really good book. There are a number of good colored pencil books and it's a good way to get started you always have that reference material there with you so if you get stuck or if you're wondering about something you can look it up easily just be a a learner and be a lifelong learner no matter what you're doing and in art i think it's no different yeah but no one book no one magazine one course one video one instructor one workshop one uh, class is going to teach you everything that you ever need to know just be a learner and even go outside of your comfort zone. Learn as much as you can about everything you're wanting to learn and be unconventional. Test things. Try things. Be experimental. And I think you're, you'll be well on your way. Have that attitude. And I think that's the attitude that you need. So our next question comes from Shirley, who says, I have no idea how to price a graphite portrait, and I'm hoping you can help me. Here's the thing. And unfortunately, like, I understand exactly where you're coming from, but I, I can pretty much tell you the same thing that, uh, that that artists I asked that question to when I was starting out would tell me. Um, I don't, you've got to research and kind of a, it ends up being a, I don't know. Um, it, it depends on so many factors. Do you have a following built up already? Is there already a demand for your art? If there is, obviously, you're going to charge a bit more than somebody who doesn't have those things. So uh, I don't know, you know, it, dep- it can depend somewhat on your skill level. Usually, actually, as much as skill level matters, I would say that the following that you've had, you've built up, and then turn the demand that you have for your work will dictate the price more than anything else. But even that said, I know I can tell you for me, I don't want to undercut myself so much that something I spent 20 hours on, I'm not going to sell for $50 because that's all I, all I can find somebody willing to pay for it right now. I would rather hang on to it until I build the following, assuming the work is good. I found when I was selling my work for a very low amount, like $50 for a pet portrait, and that was in graphite. That's actually... I'm I'm using that as an example because that actually was what my price was for that. I got a very different clientele. They were usually not very respectful. They usually complained a lot. There were a lot of problems there. When I raised that price for like, let's say an 8 by 10 graphite pet portrait, when I raised that price to $250 from $50 to $250, that made a huge difference in the type of customer I was getting. I wasn't getting less customers, believe it or not. I got a different type of customer. So they expected me to already know what I was doing. I didn't need their advice and and opinions on what needed to be changed when I raised the price. It was a really funny phenomenon I didn't expect. But... It's hard for somebody else to tell you how much that you should price your work 
because one, we've not seen it, but even if we did, then we don't know what kind of following you have. How much has your work sold for in the past? That has a lot to do with it. You don't want to start selling your work, let's say pricing it at $2,000, realize that you can't sell many. Maybe you sold one or two over the last couple of years at that price, but you can't sell much more than that. You wouldn't then want to drop your price and realize, okay, maybe 500 would have been more reasonable. And then the people who spent 2000 aren't real happy with you because, wow, that's a big difference. The people want the value of their work to go up. And if you start lowering your prices, it's just bad. You don't want to go there. So I'd recommend start on the low end, but not so low, not, you know, $50 low. I think that was too low for me when I was starting. It really made, um, it caused some additional challenges that you wouldn't have thought. So I, I will say when I started doing pet portraits that were very realistic, for me, I was selling them at 250 but that's low by a lot of standards. So it, there's just so many factors that we can't even tell you what would be the best fit for you. Yeah, I think that's – I don't really have a whole lot to add to that. I think that's good sound advice. The thing about it is with regard to pricing psychology, yeah, if you charge a higher price, then people will immediately value what you're selling most of the time if it's of some value at all. If it's valued at all, then if all other things being equal, in other words, if the pricing is the differentiator, something priced slightly higher, people will value it. Price it lower, people are not so much. They're they're going to uh, not have as much. They're not going to justify it in their mind very long. They're gonna they're going to say, hey, you know, this really wasn't worth it. And it's weird. This is just the way things work. This is the way that, that that's the way marketing works. It doesn't matter what we're talking about, and art is no different. On the other hand, if you're pricing it too high and you don't have the demand there then raising your prices doesn't make any sense. And so you have to be you have to use some logic with it and have to be kind of, you know, use some some good common sense about it. You know, if your purpose for doing art and for uh, wanting to sell art is to sell art and is to raise your prices and get it to a, a level that you think is commensurate with your time, then that would be something to try to measure, to look at the X and Y axis, you know, on that on that bell curve and see, okay, is the is the demand really there to be able to raise this price? Because here, here's the other thing about it. Maybe you're just doing it because you, you know, you enjoy it. And if you sell it, then that would be, you know, just uh, a bonus, uh, if, if you will, or something like that. But if you're really wanting to be serious about it, and you're thinking about whether or not you know you have a reputation, if you have gallery representation, or if you're known or in your market, or something like that, or you have some type of other exposure that gives you some leverage to be able to increase your prices. You know, you're justified in being able to do that. But the other thing about it is, and this is this is the way I think about it. I never think about how much time something took me. I think more about the value that somebody will get out of the thing that I'm selling. So the item that I'm selling has an intrinsic value based upon the enjoyment that it will bring to others. And so I'm not looking at it and thinking, I get this much per hour. I don't get paid per hour. I get paid because I'm a professional, and I get paid because I'm, I'm an artist. I've developed and honed a skill, and I continually do that. And so you think about it like that. And if somebody ever comes back to you and says, well, how long did that take you? Say, oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't get paid by the hour. I get paid for what I produce and what I'm selling. And this is my price. Don't, don't discount your artwork. 
keep your artwork at a at a reasonable level and then don't discount it to certain people and then raise it you know go up and down all the time don't raise it and then lower it and raise it and lower it keep it at a consistent level and be confident in your pricing no matter what it is yeah, some, something somebody told me, we were on a ferry over, a bunch of artists were headed over to, um, we were showing at Catalina Island in California, and taking the ferry over, the woman had seen that I had my boxes of, of paintings with me, and she asked me about one of my paintings, well, how long does something like that take you to paint? And I told her, and she goes, okay, don't answer people when they ask you that. That was a very good lesson, I think, that she gave me is, that it's don't tell them, because they try to figure out per hour how much you're making. People will try to figure it out. You may say, you know, they'll, they'll figure, well, you make 200 an hour. Oh, my gosh, you must make 400000 a year. No, that's not how, like, no, that is not how this works. So, yeah, that is not no, a just question. Or just tell them, yes, I make 400000 a year and I, I should be making a million. You know, just be sarcastic. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's this way in just about every professional field. If if you do freelance work or if you fall under the category of some kind of freelancer, you know, you don't get paid by the hour unless you're somebody who gets paid by the hour. And if if you don't, then it's an irrelevant type of discussion. Susan writes, I recently bought a set of Derwent ink tents to find a bridge between my watercolor and acrylic painting. Good bridge. I Let's see how I can't read now. I, I just distracted myself. How do you get that pinprick point on your pencils? I'm using Kum Ellipse sharpener and it doesn't seem to get that fine point you're always talking about. Tried some sand or some sandpaper, but I don't think I'm doing it correctly. Please help. So here's the thing with ink tents. They do not sharpen that great, I found. I get way finer detail by scribbling on another piece of paper and then taking a paintbrush, a, a liner brush that's either a zero, a number one, or a number two, and mixing water with it and painting on with that liner brush, I can get way, way thinner, finer, like that pig, pin print, pin, I can't talk today, pin point print, I give up, I'm done, <laughs> I can't do it. That pin, pri <laughs> pin prick point. That's what it is. My gosh, I could not say that. But I don't get that with those. Like, I can get it with my polychromos, no problem. I can even get that to an extent with luminance and, and some of the wax-based pencils. I can't with ink tents. They just don't get to that fine of a point. And I find also, even when I do draw with them and I'm trying to get the small, small details... It, it doesn't, I don't know, just the way that they go down, I just can't get a fi that fine of a line with them. I love them for a certain thickness, but when I want that that really, really thin line, I'm always going to switch over and use a liner brush with water and then paint on the those thin, thin lines. Mm. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, if you're using them with water and that kind of thing, uh, I guess I could see that. I use the Super Point by Derwent. I really like that pencil sharpener. I really haven't had a problem uh, getting them really sharp, but I most of the time like to use them dry anyway. I'll put it in the show notes. I've got a chart that you're welcome to download and uh, take a look at the light fast ratings from, from Ink Tints. You can get a sharper point, but the thing is they also, they're kind of uh, like buttery smooth a lot of times, depending on the paper that you're using, obviously. Yeah, and Susan, in the show notes, I'll have a link for the ink tents chart that I made up. Next question is from Edith, who asks, why do my final pieces look dull? I use many layers, but they sometimes look flat and not bright enough. I incorporate shadows, lights, and darks, but the final look is drab. How can my work look brighter? So the 
I find that one of the main reasons that a lot of people, they'll be working on one area. Let's say they're working on one spot where they've got a lot of white. It's a real pale color, but it just doesn't seem bright enough. Usually it's because what's next to it isn't dark enough. It It's not always the area you're focused on that needs the work or in order to, to make it appear brighter or bright, whatever it is. It can be the, whether it's the contrast, the, the color next to it, or just the value of the color. So let's say you're working on something that has orange. If you put blue next to it, that orange is going to pop. So that is definitely part of it. Part of it, when you say many layers, I mean, that's subjective. So I, I'm not sure how many layers you're actually adding. But to give you an idea, if I'm going to blend with, let's say, odorless mineral spirits, I will usually put down three to five light layers, blend out with odorless mineral spirits, another three to five light la- layers, blend out with odorless mineral spirits. And I continue that until the color saturation is where I want. The paper that you're using can make that difficult. Now I've seen other people able to do it, but they're using different techniques than I do. So sometimes the paper can make a difference. And the other, a lot of the other times, it's just that the color next to it isn't bright enough. If the blue was more bold, then maybe that orange would pop that much more. It's also subjective to to use a term like bright enough. Sometimes I think we're looking at monitors and then we look at a paper and, you know, it, it's never going to look as bright as what we see on an LCD or something like that. I'm, I'm not sure exactly maybe what you're talking about, but it could be the contrast between the colors like Lisa was talking about. And it may also be the warms and the cools and yeah. trying to look at those as well. I'm not real sure, but yeah, those I think those are some good starting points to think about. Next question. Several artists avoid white underneath color pencil by putting down a layer of markers first to already block in their colors a bit and have a nice layer. What do you think about this and would you recommend it or do you think it's a waste of money to buy those very expensive Copics as you can achieve the very same result with a good color pencil blender? The thing about using markers, the first thing that I would caution you about with using with regard to using markers is that uh, look into the light fastness of the markers and make sure that they're not fugitive colors or fugitive uh, markers uh, in particular. And a lot of the Copic markers are. So I would look into that. And so make sure that they're not. And then if you are using something that you feel confident is light fast, then you know you, you can do that. But uh, And then as a base layer, sometimes that is nice. I mean, it, it's it's not a bad way to go. Lisa and I did do a podcast on, what were the name of those, Lisa? They were pigment markers, Windsor & Newton. So those yeah. would be a good one to go with, to play with for that. And so, you know, I, I know there are artists also that will even use those on top of colored pencil. And I don't think they care at all about whether or not they're light fast. So that's my biggest caution with that type of thing. And yes, they are expensive. And there's just no way around that. I don't know any marker that's really uh, not very expensive. But Copics, yeah, they are probably the most expensive. And I don't know. There's, it's, it's a different type of medium. And if you're doing things that you want to just make prints of and that sort of thing, not a bad way to go if you're just making prints. Uh, but if, yeah, if you're going to sell the work and you're we're trying to achieve a good balance, I'm talking about a balance in the way that the finished piece looks, then... You want to play around with it a little bit and do some tests and make sure that things look balanced. Uh, to, for me, personally, I just don't like the look of marker over here, colored pencil over here, something over here, you know, that kind of thing. So I always look for a balance myself and a nice finish to your work. 
But yeah, that's that's one thing to think about. And the biggest thing, I think, is the light fastness. One of the things, too, a lot of people will think, well, it doesn't matter if it's light fast because I'm putting colored pencil on top of it. Well, if the whole point was to cover the white of the paper, that means you intend some of that to poke through. That means you're not really getting colored pencil covering everything 100%. And those colors will still fade over time, especially. So like John was saying, if it's, if it's for prints, I don't worry about it. But if you're planning to sell the original, that does matter. The other thing that you need to keep in mind is if you tone down the paper anywhere where you want to be really bright, if you were trying to get light white areas, you're not going to get, your pencil is not going to go that white again. You're not going to get it that bright unless you're using touch-up texture and titanium white mixture from brushandpencil.com. That you can get your whites back. But if you're just using pencils on top, you're never going to get the whites white enough again. So maybe you have a question and we'd love to hear what that question is. You can fill in a form over there at sharpenedartist.com slash Q&A and we will probably read that on the air. Also on the podcast page, over on the right, there is an option to leave us a voicemail if you'd like to do that. Or just take out your smartphone and record a memo. Send it over to us. Email us at podcast at sharpenedartist.com. If you like the show, tell someone else about it. Or leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. We would appreciate that. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com.